Yo, what's up? Good morning, everybody. All of my habitual disruptors. It's me, Gerardo Munoz, your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, and I'm coming at you on the Mondays of Mondays. I'm recording this, in fact, before the sun is up, and there's just something criminal about that. But I know that it's been a while since I dropped some content for you, and man, we got some real good stuff in the tank for you. Um, in the tank, in the... I don't know. I don't know what a good metaphor is. Um, I was going to say in the chamber, but that's needlessly violent and habitually disruptive is not about replicating cycles of violence. Um, definitely anti-violence. Um, but the point is that we have a lineup the next few weeks that we think you're really going to enjoy. So the Habitually Disruptive podcast is hosted by me, Gerardo Munoz. We are, I am, a Tudo production. And I try to bring stories of people who are doing really great work to disrupt the status quo. Because as we know, the status quo always brings us back to white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, as the eminent bellhooks would tell us. So yeah, I'm drinking my coffee. Um, the mug was given to me by a former student. It says I put the pro into procrastinate. Because that's really true. Um, at some point, I'm going to decolonize the idea of procrastination because I really do think that procrastination is just an unwillingness to participate in the rat race um, for the most part, except for when my wife is trying to get me to send an email that I should have sent weeks ago. In that case, there there's another issue, which is I'm just afraid people are going to think that I'm undeserving. But that's a whole other episode, isn't it? So here it is, November 29th. It's already about to be December. Time is flying by in so many ways. For some of you, I know time is probably not flying by in a good way that all of a sudden it's the end of November and you have so much to do and you have so little time between now and our next big break. Um, so I know that, you know, it. I always... I always get frustrated, not maybe not frustrated, but there's always a question that people ask you who are, especially folks who are not teachers, who will say, hey, are you like really happy to be almost done? And I'm like, <laughs> that's a double-edged sword. That's a really tough thing to be happy about because it's kind of like, I, I liken it to falling off of a building and watching the ground rush up at you, like knowing that the fall is over soon, but what waits for you at the bottom, you don't know if you're going to survive. So um, I, I guess I'm glad, but no, on the whole, it's been a pretty good school year. I'm behind on literally everything, but I think a lot of that has to do with the heart and soul and healing work that I'm trying to do for myself, for the people, for my loved ones, my family, and um, for my community. And sometimes that means putting aside some uh, requirements, some things that I have to do um, within the system. And so I'm trying to train myself to be as unapologetic as possible when it comes to taking care of myself and those around me. There just isn't anything more important than that. Did accomplish some things. Um, I did finish my, my first quarter of doctoral work two weeks ago, 
went really well. Straight A's, baby. Straight A's. Although, as a friend told me, I, I was talking to my friend Sean at some point, and when I my first stint in grad school, and I was doing my master's, and I said, "Yo, man, like, does anybody get F's in grad school?" And he says, unflinchingly, "Yes, they're called B's." <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh, all right." But, but I got a lot out of my classes, um, like my community-based uh, research class was fantastic. Shout out Dr. Cutforth. Um, shout out all y'all in that class who are amazing. I know Terry listens for sure. And uh, shout out to you all for being the tough-minded, compassionate intellectuals that made me feel like such a learner every single day in a good way. I just loved absorbing everything you had to say. If you saw me feverishly taking notes when you were talking, I wasn't doing work for another class. I was probably writing down things that you literally said, because I want to know what those things mean and I want to grow. So I just really appreciate them. Uh, Dr. Paul really appreciated analysis of teaching. Shout out to the MIN Drugs crew. Uh, Y'all know who you are. Had a lot of fun learning with and from you. It was really good. Um, and I, and I've really been reflecting on where I'm going to go on this journey. Um, big, big shout out to Dr. Salazar, my, my mentor, my advisor, um, the person who's in my corner and who holds me to the highest extent, highest standard possible as a graduate student. It just means a lot to me to have your faith and your energy and your commitment. Um, this has been super fun. I think that I was really starting to get frustrated with, the lack of depth that's possible in conversations that happen at a school level. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying here. It's not that people in schools are incapable of having these deep conversations. It's why a conversation, y'all, will take up all of our time in the hallway or during our planning period or during times when we're supposed to have teacher-directed planning time. It's because we're deep thinkers in education, and we can't just have these quick, meaningless, water-cooler conversations that I hear they have in the corporate world. No shade to the corporate world. Actually, um, as much shade as possible to the corporate world. Um, sorry, y'all, uh, but not sorry. So, you know, that, that's been a thing that's been difficult for me, especially this last year, as I've had the opportunity to be in community with just hella dope folks. Um, and I just want to talk to people for hours. I just want to hear their stories. I want to hear what they're learning. I want to hear what they're working on. I want to hear them drop that expertise. There's so many things I feel like these folks can provide. And it's been kind of a beautiful thing. So my graduate experience has been one that's just been really invigorating for me so far. Now, I know that I have two consecutive quarters coming between January and June. The The big challenge is to survive and uh, get through it with, you know, intact and upright. Um, and I know all the things I'm balancing are going to be, you know, put to the test over the next six months. So, but it, it it was a really good quarter, really appreciated the opportunities that I had and continue to have. It's been super fun. And, you know, I'm just a big believer in furthering your education. I know not everybody has access to a doctoral program or a graduate program or even a college program, but man, check out some good stuff on YouTube. There's a lot of places you can learn and a lot of dope folks uh, that you can learn from on a deep and meaningful level. Um, so, so if you um, are interested in following the Habitually Disruptive podcast, there's a couple of places you can find us. We are currently 
on the Two Dope Teachers feed. Um, so we come out, We I try to put an episode out on Mondays when possible and, um, you know, get you guys thinking, get you all, I should say, thinking about habitual disruption and all of these kinds of things that are there for you. Um, maybe get you motivated for the week. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Dope Teachers. You can find us on Facebook at Two Dope Teachers. You can email the Two Dope Media email address with show ideas, feedback, requests, anything like that. Two Dope Teachers at gmail.com. Want to also take a moment to let you know that Two Dope Productions is brought to you by in part by Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, Black, and Indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released abolitionist teaching workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further development abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called the future of educational justice by Dr. Bettina Love. Yeah, heard a Dr. Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is quetzalec.com, Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention that you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, Two Dope Productions, or Habitually Disruptive, you will receive a 5% discount on our abolitionist teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their connect with us page. Well, so, you know, the conversation, at least the conversation I'm trying to be a part of has been around mental health and mental health struggles of our young people and of teachers in the profession. And I don't know if you all saw this, but a while back, the state of Colorado declared a state of emergency regarding youth mental health, that young people are in crisis, suicidal ideation, Suicide attempts are up really significantly since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, the CDC uh, issued or published a finding that showed, for example, that suicide attempts by girls, by adolescent girls, are up by 51%. And that was as of June of 2021. Um, I shudder to think what's happened in the last five months. It's really kind of important. And, you know, personally, I'm still kind of struggling to respond to kids' needs. You know, I think my notion was that kids would come back into in-person classes and they'd be able to communicate why they were hurting or why it was weird to be back and what the trauma really looked like. I expected that they'd be able to sort of talk about these things. Instead, what we got was students who really don't know why they're feeling what they're feeling and maybe haven't even realized that things have changed because of this pandemic that we are in and because of the quarantine that we emerged from um, in the spring of this year or attempted to emerge from. And, you know, it's been a lot of observation. It's been a lot of kind of me. I, I've been trying really hard to just watch what students are doing watch how they're interacting, watch what seems to make them uncomfortable, watch their impulses and see if I can establish a connection in that way. It's really tough. And, and I don't want to say, 
I don't want to say that they don't know what's wrong with them because I don't want to make any presumptions that something is wrong with them, but things have really changed. And I don't know if we've really properly thought about the things that have shifted in our kids. I was talking to a colleague about how things have shifted in teachers. And I think this is probably what makes leadership really difficult right now is that you are ready to support the things that can be named and articulated. You are not ready to support the things that cannot be named or articulated. When somebody asks me, yo, how you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. I've taken to saying that I'm well, um, literally meaning I am not ill and I'm not injured, facts only. But when I start thinking too deeply about the things that have shifted in me over the last year and a half, it becomes kind of a rabbit hole and I don't want to like bother people. I don't want to trouble people with everything that's kind of going on with me that I can't properly articulate. And I think our students are dealing with that even more so like at least we as adults, <laughs> hopefully have an ability to communicate our hurt and our ability to be vulnerable and our, our ability to deal with the world around us. We can at least communicate it. I don't know that young people, particularly my middle schoolers, know how to communicate it or know how to check in with themselves. So I think that's the big struggle. Um, I was on a roundtable that was rolling out a playbook for mental health support. I was invited. It was in conjunction with the Children's Hospital. The name of the organization that put it together escapes me. Um, and I got to be honest, y'all. I was so frustrated and disappointed with that roundtable for two reasons. First of all, the media in attendance um, only was interested in learning about what the medical profession was doing to and what the health profession was doing to, I, should, I shouldn't say profession, what the health industry was doing to support kids in crisis. So it was very much from a, oh, do you need more beds? Do you need more funding? Do you need more, you know, X, Y, and Z? And there wasn't a single question directed to me as the representative of 66,000 teachers in Colorado for the year 2021, and someone who ostensibly is trying to put my ear to the ground and know what's going on with our 900,000 students in the state of Colorado. Like, it, it was just kind of mind blowing to me that we didn't have that conversation. And, you know, that conversation needs to happen because who do you think is noticing first? when kids are in crisis? Who do you think sees it first? Who do you think catches the, the kind of surprising ripples, the inconsistent behaviors? A, a, a straight A student suddenly stops turning in work. A student who was always kind of quiet and on the borderline becomes really rebellious and angry. Who do you think sees that first? One of the health professionals on the round table said, by the time they get to us in the ERs and in the intensive care units and under these suicide watches, it's too late. And that really stuck with me because it got me thinking about well, when is it not too late? It's not too late when we're in schools, y'all. That's when it's not too late. When we notice things going on with our kids and we build these relationships and we try to get connected and understand what's happening. And yo, I can't speak for other buildings. I know that my building is working day and night. My fearless, tough, courageous colleagues who are working so hard to stay connected to kids who are willing to struggle with difficult conversations around social emotional health. And 
we're trying. There just aren't enough of us. I had one of our support professionals, one of our SSPs come and talk to me, um, extremely concerned about the lack of capacity that we have to support students right now. And it's institutional capacity that is playing out at school levels. So we need to shift the conversation. We need to start moving into spaces where teachers are. Trust teachers. We are paying attention. We are worried about our kids. Some of us worry about our students day and night. And there are some young people who go to a teacher before they go to their parents, before they go to safe to tell, before they access a therapist. I mean, there's a staggering number of kids who can't access therapy. That's a whole other issue that we're going to deal with here. So I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed in our society's continued refusal to look at schools as places where healing needs to begin. Kids spend more time, more waking attentive hours in school than anywhere else in their lives, especially now. So you have got to start listening to teachers. Otherwise, this crisis is not going to get better. Got to take it seriously. So in the spirit of that, I'm bumping an episode up that I think is just extremely important for us to hear for you all to hear and for us to reflect on. Um, I am very excited to introduce you to my friend Jody Miller. Uh, Jody Miller is the founder of WellCheck, and we'll give you some links and ways to access WellCheck in just a second. Before I do that, I want to just let you know, Jody Miller is a PhD student at the John, Johns Hopkins University in the School of Education and the creator of WellCheck. She's a former high school teacher who is passionate about supporting students and cultivating their potential. Her research focuses on how stress affects the brains, bodies, and achievement of students. She also examines how we measure stress and what schools can do to, what schools can do to buffer against the negative effects for children. Her secondary interests include teacher well-being and how it is important for student outcomes. Jody graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with her BA in Biological Basis of Behavior and with her master's degrees in Education Policy and Secondary Education. After leaving Penn, she taught 10th grade biology and 12th grade anatomy in Philadelphia. During her 10 years, she loved watching her students thrive. Together, they achieved a 400% increase in proficiency on the state biology exam. Jody's experience teaching inspired her to pursue a PhD and create WellCheck. Jody loves working with students, teachers, students and teachers whose roles are complex, crucial, and extremely ward, rewarding. Um, and, and I have to tell you, Jody is just a, a bundle of light. She is joyful, she's excited, she's enthusiastic, she's brilliant, and she's got these really great ideas that she's bringing to us. Um, and WellCheck, uh, I think, is, you know, really, really a great tool um, that I'm hoping that my building and my um, and, and my district will begin to explore a little bit and see if it meets some of our social emotional health needs. Um, I think you'll enjoy this interview. Um, so without any further ado, here is Jody Miller of WellCheck.
So folks, we are here with Jody Miller, soon to be Dr. Jody Miller. Um, I know this is probably a triggering thing to say, but uh, <laughs> Johns Hopkins University and the owner and developer of WellCheck, this phenomenal wellness program that uh, that she is developing to be used in schools. And it's a fabulous thing. Jody, how are you today? Hi, I'm so well. Yeah, soon to be doctor in a year and a half. <laughs> I <laughs> will sooner, get sooner than me, sooner than me. <laughs> I'm sitting in these like in these grad classes, right? And so we're talking about, you know, so there we had a guest speaker asking us, so what do you plan to be doing in three years? And like, everybody's like, well, I plan to be done with my dissertation in three years. And I'm like, I plan to be starting it in three years. Yeah, <laughs> so, people, it's a long right. range. And people are asking me what comes next. And I was like, oh, uh, one day. <laughs> there's next? Wait, there's next? Yeah. I thought there would just be a ticker tape parade. And then I get to just chill for the rest of my life because I did this thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, at least a week off. Yeah. Well, I, it's interesting because I actually do think you have a good sense of what's next. Um, and you've been kind of working on it concurrently with your doctoral work. And we'll we'll get a um we'll get a chance to hear a little bit about that. But just tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your connection to student wellness? What's your connection to education? Um, and just what have been your experiences that have kind of brought you to where you are today? Sure. So <clears throat> I grew up in New York and I always wanted to be a teacher like at five and people would say, what do you want to be? And I knew I just I can't explain how I knew it was. Yeah. just. There. Did you like were you a kid that played school with your friends? Oh, so I was apparently this kid, but I didn't ever <laughs> consciously want to be a teacher like I avoided it forever. And then, and then, and then I finished my undergrad and I'm like, oh damn, I need a job. <laughs> and so, uh, and there was a teacher shortage at that point. So yeah. not unlike now, but so, so you always wanted to be a teacher. Always. And it's so funny because when I went to college, I wanted to understand how people learn. So I studied hmm. a combination of biopsych and neuroscience. And then after college, I got my master's and then taught high school bio in Philadelphia. For high school years. bio. Is that, is that in ninth grade at, in Philly? Greater. So it started with physical science and then we did okay. bio and I also taught okay. anatomy to a okay. twelfth grader. Yeah. So it was so much fun. I loved it. It was so challenging and so consuming in good and bad ways. Mm -hmm. And I so my students in Philadelphia were wonderful and we're dealing with a lot of challenges on top of just being an adolescent, which is already right. hard enough. And yeah. I found myself thinking many nights, I, they're going through very difficult life challenges. And I'm talking about the mitochondria or the ribosomes. And it's almost right. this existential crisis of what am I doing and why? Yeah. And I also really was thinking about what we know that in so many cases, our students are struggling to juggle lots of different responsibilities and a lot of different kind of feelings and experiences. And I was thinking about what is stress doing to their brains and bodies, all of our brains and bodies, because we all experience stress yeah. and what can we do about it? So, or what, if we can understand what's happening, can we design systems that better meet their needs and, right. and all, all people's needs really, because we, it's so much as perception yeah. that we can all feel different amounts of stress, no matter what context that we're in. And that right. led me to get a PhD where I am currently a fourth year at Johns Hopkins, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I study stress. 
Yeah. So let, let's um, backtrack just a little bit, because I think that you, you mentioned a couple of things I think listeners are going to want to hear about. So, you know, this was a decision at, after, after a few years teaching that you were going to kind of pivot and go into this doctoral program. Um, how, how much of it was just kind of an idea of where you wanted to go in life and how much of it was informed by what you were seeing in the communities that you were teaching, and especially in terms of stress? Like, what did that look like? Um, and then if I could just pack one more question in here, uh, there's also this kind of, you, you made this such an insightful comment that most of us listening, if we teach a subject in middle school or high school, we can plug in our own like sort of uh, seemingly minor academic point um, into it. So you said something about given the responsibilities and the stresses that your students had, how can it just felt off to teach about the mitochondria, to teach about ribosomes, to teach about these different things. And I, I would plug in, yeah, like post-classical trade patterns just seem a little, it's like hard to like rationalize, like, okay, yeah, we're talking about this, but you have this. So, so all of that really in a cumbersome question, if you need me to repeat any of it, I will. <laughs> okay. So actually I'm going to start with the third part and then circle back. Awesome. So that works. I think that part about our content was so, is something I wrestled with so many times and so often, but I always came back to, it would be worse if I didn't, if I didn't give them the same content that their peers across the city or across the country were getting, that would be okay. worse. And that I think is what pushed me forward on days where I was having an existential crisis about right. you're going through like very difficult things and I'm like yeah. and DNA is translated into mRNA and I think that's the 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 idea and the importance of making sure that my students were to the extent that I could give them the best education I possibly could were still getting that was what helped me move forward I was like it's, yeah. it's worse if I didn't and that's yeah 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 and that's what helped um although I still felt super uh guilty sometimes or just have really complex feelings about it yeah. and then as far as the first question I didn't I don't I didn't know what I wanted to come next after a PhD mm -hmm. I just knew the knowledge that I wanted to get I couldn't get in any other venue I really wanted yeah. to understand what is stress doing from a neurological perspective from a physiological perspective behaviorally emotionally and I wasn't sure where else I could kind of learn some of those things with beyond a PhD program right. so or to yeah. think tank or some of these other spaces, but I, I really think I ended up in the right environment to kind of develop my chops to understand what all of this is, what all this means. Yeah, definitely. Um, wh where did your interest in stress as, a, as, a, as an academic pursuit emerge? Um, be because I think we all talk about stress, we feel it, we don't like it for the most part, um, but what was it that kind of led you down this road of saying, no, actually, this is something that I want to research that I want to get in-depth knowledge about, like, how did, how did that interest come up for you? That aspect of it was really so much influenced by my teaching and my experience in Philadelphia, because I, my, the, that we see these trends where students in lower income communities are performing on average less well than their peers in middle and higher income communities mm -hmm. that persists doesn't tell us that these students are inherently less capable. That's not what's happening. There are other things that are happening for our students who are particularly vulnerable to experiencing a lot of stressors. And yeah. my thought is, well, what if we can understand what's happening and then what they need? Almost kind of reverse engineering schools for students based on 
what is happening in their bodies and brains that they might not even realize. And that right. many of us don't, we may understand on some level, but don't fully appreciate because we don't spend that much time talking or learning about it. And it's so important. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's interesting. Um, one thing you said that stood out was that the students aren't always super aware that this is what's informing their behavior and all these kinds of things. And it just makes me think, and we'll talk about this after the break, but this kind of makes me think of the return to school. I'm, I'm not sure what we expected when kids came back. Um, you know, we went to a whole bunch of trauma-informed professional development. We did all these kinds of things. Um, and then I think we expected kids to be able to name, oh yeah, the pandemic did this to me. And so I'm stressed, but they, they haven't been able to name that. And I think what a lot of um, systemically what education expected has been a little bit different. So I'm glad you said that. So let's, let's talk about what you decided to do and how you decided to do that. So, um, so what is WellCheck and where did the idea come from and when did it come from and all of that? Okay, so first I want to say that I don't even think we as adults understand what the pandemic has done. No, I, and yeah. I have talked about this quite a bit. I don't, I think so many people are feeling off and like something's not quite right. We seem to be transitioning back to normal, but yet there's still, we're not normal. And so I, I think if we can't experience, if we can't express it and figure out what's happening then we really can't expect students to either. Yep. And it will take a lot of time for all of us to process what we've just been through because yep. it's almost now become the new normal that it's hard to remember a world not quite like this, even though we yeah. lived in it for the vast majority of our lives. Yeah, 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 no doubt. So I started thinking with a friend, it really happened kind of spontaneously in that I, I'm not necessarily a tech person. I'm not a business person. <laughs> I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. I yep. was having conversations with a friend who is a tech person and we would have these really wonderful kind of coffee chats thinking about education and potential collaborations, but really it came to like, what would have made my daily life as a teacher easier? And mm -hmm. so much of what helped my classroom run were relationships and having those strong connections with students helped when challenges arose and helped when I needed their attention to finish our lesson on whatever we were discussing yep. and, and to just make our classroom environment really fun and supportive and thinking about, well, what helped, what's helped me build those relationships? And yeah. we had an advisory program at my school. The students would go around in a circle and say how they're feeling on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. What was so hard though was Students didn't necessarily trust each other or want other people yep. to know yep. they weren't doing yep. well. I also was in the middle of my day. So I'm like trying to just make sure everything is manageable in the classroom yep. and thinking yep. about what I need to print and also trying to remember who said what number. And so yep. that was so overwhelming. Yep. You might have a class right afterwards. You're like, okay, do I right. have enough copies? And right. the thing well, that always kept stressed me out is I'm like, I don't even have a focus exercise right now. Like my whole teaching world is falling apart because I don't know what I'm going to do in the first five minutes. Right. You know? yeah. right. So I found that. So similarly, I found that it was helpful to know, but that system wasn't working for my brain. And I noticed, I saw the impact of knowing when I was a third year, I had the student who I was, who had been in my class, but was transferred out because the schedule changed. And we didn't really have a great relationship. We, there wasn't a lot of trust between us. It was a very difficult class and setting and we right. just didn't figure it out. 
And we, I got word from the counselor that he had gone through something really traumatic over the weekend. And I didn't know what, I just knew he needed some time and space and he was in the gym and I was hanging out there on my prep period, just kind of getting fresh air, fresh. Um, And (laughs) I saw him and normally I would like kick students out of the gym and nudge them to class as they were supposed to be. But because something happened, I sat down and talked to him and it, completely changed the nature of our relationship in such Mm -hmm. a positive way. Here was someone who we didn't have this mutual trust and we left that conversation and we have this foundation of like, I am here, I can't understand, or I don't know what you're feeling, but if you want to talk or have someone listen, I'm here, you're welcome in my room always. And he would stop by to say hi or to give me a hug. And it was just such a powerful moment because it completely changed our relationship in such a wonderful way. And that really got me thinking, well, what if teachers had more insight into how students were feeling? So if a student has their head down, we, or whatever the behavior may be, we are more prepared to respond to it with empathy and patience. And whereas when I, when I didn't know, I might do something like nudge a kid to go to class or like ask them to pick their head up or something. And it would lead to this explosion that would add tension and conflict in a space that was already riddled with challenge for that individual. Yeah. And so WellCheck is designed to be a daily check-in tool for students where they can select how they're feeling, their emotions, and then rate their overall well-being. And what we do is we flag students of concern. So those kind of students who may be on that lower one, we, we have a one through 10 scale who are in the lower third, so one, two, or three, we put them on the radar of teachers. Like these are students you might want to check in with. They seem to be having a hard time. Yeah. So that students can kind of communicate without having to look an adult in the eye and say, this is how I'm feeling. And, and, and this is why. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really kind of the ethos behind why we created WellCheck was to give students that space and give teachers that insight so they can just focus on what do you need today? The rest will follow, which is yeah. something we believe in really strongly. Is some of the thinking to like, I remember the last time we talked about the tool and the, the tool is dope, y'all. Like, like what I've seen of it the last time, and I'm pretty sure it's gone into some more iterations since the last time we spoke. Um, it, what's interesting to me is that I was going to use the word impersonal, but you probably have a better word for it. It provides that kind of distance where if they're, what I've kind of observed just anecdotally, I've not done the research that you have, is that students are usually willing to be honest about how they're feeling, Mm -hmm. but the situation in which they are comfortable being that vulnerable is what is widely variable, right? So I might see a kid who I body language is really suggesting to that kid is to me that that kid is struggling, but I don't necessarily have the relationship. I feel weird going up and saying, Hey, are you okay? Even though I generally will, but it, you know, you, if you don't have the relationship, you're probably not going to get much. You're going to get, yeah, I'm fine. Or I'm just tired, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and, you know, maybe they'll say, I'm a little stressed, but it's cool, you know, where this tool seems to really, you know, provide some feeling of privacy where you're sort of rating where you're at and you're just doing that. And then that, and some, you know, teachers, I think a lot of us, all we need is to know Jody's having a bad day. So be kind and be gentle and be understanding. And then your day changes as a result of this. Is that kind of the thinking behind it? Or I'm assuming there's a lot more to it. 
Yeah, that's a big part, the sense that there is this privacy. And there's also this like slight intentional disconnect in that I'm sending you the message that I might be feeling sad or lonely or mm-hmm. angry. And your receipt, the data is available immediately, but there's not this same like immediacy of a conversation. So I don't have to like look at you and tell you out loud, this is how I'm feeling. And then you have to respond right away, which I think is really helpful for both teacher and student. Like if we do have a conversation, there's this mutual understanding that I selected sad or whatever it may be. And also something you said resonated with me because I think we're so accustomed to saying tired or stressed. And, and I actually, in the high school version, because we have different developmental stages, tired isn't even an option. And we did that wow. in because they're always tired. They're and always tired. <laughs> There's sometimes yeah. something under the tired, like yeah. overwhelmed or sad or lonely. And I just don't want those feelings to get erased by yeah. tired. And so yep. I think that's another thing that we wanted to give students permission to say, wow, I am something really vulnerable, like lonely or worried or frustrated or whatever it might be, because we don't normally say those things out loud, especially in a school setting where we might feel like people are overhearing us or we don't have privacy. And so that was really the kind of the intent with which we created WellCheck. Talk talk about it. complex it is though because you know i i can i i can see a version of people saying oh she just make like a google form and they just like enter a number and then you have instant data how is well check different yeah such a good question and so many teachers did that during the pandemic and yeah yep. so in awe that shout they, out pear deck yeah <laughs> yeah and i think i'm like that's wonderful and so amazing. What we really want to do is make it even easier because what we've observed with Google Forms in particular is you need a new link every day. That's right. And it's difficult to track individual students over time and class yep. averages. And so we really try to make the data accessible. So we have different dashboards. So we kind of show you here's the breakdown for the day. This is what every student said is their emotions and their well being score. We have this really lovely, very colorful graph that shows the number. <laughs> it's like my favorite. I spent so much time. <laughs> no, I remember. <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, and it counts the number of times each emotion has been selected, which I think can be really nice because we've seen teachers show that to the class at the end of the week and kind of as a summary, like this is where we've been. And it's anonymous. Wow. So it's not like, oh, well, because <laughs> I said this he over there must have said happy or sad. And because we don't have that one-to-one ratio, it can allow students to see that they're not the only ones feeling sad or or, uh, lonely or worried or angry or stressed. We also track longitudinal trends by the class average, which can be really helpful. This is, I'm sure, not surprising to anybody, but we saw right before the holidays last year, a subtle but significant dip. And yeah, that's something that we talk about and we recognize as real, but to see it play out like that was really fascinating. And then we also allow for individual trends, which is important because you have some kids who are just kind of always at a six or seven, they're just kind Mm -hmm. of all right. And then you see some kids may have more variability. And so a five may be low for them if they usually identify as an eight or nine. And so that data for your class and individual gives you really helpful context because a number by itself doesn't give you much but if you can see well what was that number compared to yesterday or last month then you get a better sense of okay what does this mean and how do I respond yeah the the kind of uber data is really interesting to me because I think that 
you know, we're, we're living in a, in a time in schools that I think is begging for a decolonizing practice, right? And one of the, one of the colonizer practices in education is to treat it, is, is for every student to be told that they are individually responsible for everything that happens in their education. And this promotion of competitiveness, of individualism, um, of, you know, even a, a measure of self-centeredness, right? You can kind of disrupt that by saying, so you had a bad day, but guess what? There are 30 kids in this class, 27 of them weren't feeling awesome this whole week. So, and, and you know, you're not drawing conclusions from it, but just kind of saying, so we just know that if you had a tough week, it was just maybe kind of a tough week. And yeah, I think there's something really powerful and cathartic about that. Mm-hmm. Like just even when you're talking about now to new teachers or people with whom we get to interact, just being like, it's really weird right now. And then they're like, and then they'll say, they'll agree or they are having their own respective challenges. And there's something yeah. about that that's so disarming and that allows us to take a deep breath and it almost destigmatize our own emotions. I think sometimes- yeah well, why are we the only ones? And you're not, you just may not know. Yeah. And we've, similarly, we've seen teachers show the emotional bar graph to students, gently remind them, like, maybe some of your peers are feeling sad. So maybe check in with them. And I love that because not calling anybody out, it's just promoting this general level of empathy and compassion and concern from one another, which we can always all benefit from. Yeah. And that empathy conversation was, so we have an advisement program at our school too. And I have eighth graders and I love eighth graders. They're petty, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're amazing. And, um, and, you know, being able to show data to them and to, this is just with like Pear Deck. And so they're, so again, we talk about the cumbersome nature of some of the platforms that are there and, you know, in all fairness to Pear Deck, they're not there to simply track wellness. They're there for an academic purpose and there's some kind of wellness pieces attached to it, but it just gave such a natural and to your point, destigmatizing way to say, to build empathy, to say, if you're one of the people that's feeling down, we have evidence that you're not the only one. If you're one of the only people that is in a good space, then maybe try to be sensitive. If somebody says something that you think is weird, or if somebody annoys you in some way, remember that we have a third of the people in this class who are kind of struggling today. And so maybe don't take it all personally right now. And, you know, maybe just take a breath and think about, you know, maybe this is one of those people who's just having a bad day and it's got nothing to do with me. And so I really, I really love that point. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, what I'm really interested in hearing is what the tool is telling you in addition to just your own experiences doing this research and in, in neck deep in the work um, about this return to school this, uh, this school year. So uh, we'll come back and do that. Um, but before we do that, folks want to tell you a little bit about Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, Black, and Indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, professional development, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they've been called the future of educational justice by Dr. Bettina L. Love. Heard of her. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C 
www.twodopeproductions.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Productions, you will receive a 5% discount on their abolitionist teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting getsalec.com on their connect with us page. Yeah, and check them out. The more folks who are engaging in this humanizing abolitionist work um, in schools and impacting school policies, the better. Um, and I'm sitting with somebody today who is working towards a kind of maybe a maybe a little bit of a disruption of the industrial capitalist rationale for schooling. Um, checking in with uh, with wellness. Um, we that's funny. I said checking in with wellness. That's hilarious. Um, Wellcheck's own founder, um, Jody Miller. Um, it's interesting. So I was in D.C. a couple weeks ago, and um, and one of the so there are a couple of different moments. So we attended um, an event at the White House where Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona talked about how it's been such a priority, the top line priority of the administration to get kids back in person in school. And we've heard different versions of this in a lot of other places. We had another keynote that week where the Deputy um, Secretary of Education, I think that was her title, don't hold me to that, also spoke about getting kids back in person and encouraging teachers, especially to engage in self-care. Um, I had some feelings about that. My friend Eric, who's the Texas Teacher of the Year, also had some feelings about that. We kind of had a little bit of a back and forth around it. But th there's this question of return to school that I personally have been sort of frustrated with, that we've come back to school and it has not been the saving grace for a lot of folks that everybody said it would be. What are you observing? What are you learning? And I mean, fix this. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but, I'm working on it. Yeah. So what are the insights <laughs> that you've developed through your own research and through, um, and through WellCheck and other, and other places? Yeah, so two things. So one thing that we actually worked on the summer, which I'm really excited about, is we're working on looking at subgroup analysis within schools. And I think, mm. and that's, and when you're talking about some of the equity work that you were in the ad, I think that we're giving schools an opportunity to look at wellness across gender identities, across racial identities. And I think that's really important because things, so much information gets lost in the average. It may look like everything is okay, but if we have one particular group of students who is identifying as being less well than others or than the average, yep. then that's a problem. And maybe we can think about what other supports might those students need to mm -hmm. feel as safe and welcome as community as possible. So that's one thing that we're trying to do that hopefully we're trying to do to promote more equitable practices and thinking about students and well-being. And as far as this year, we've heard from so many teachers just how difficult it has been. I don't think that the return to school has been the saving grace. It doesn't mean that that wasn't the right decision. I don't feel sure. confident to speak to that, but yep. I think that we almost just return to normal without acknowledging the fact that everyone has been through this national trauma, really international yeah. trauma for the yep. last yep. Few yep. months. And that includes teachers and students and administrators and counselors and school psychologists and everybody else who's connected families and community members and communities overall. And yep. we, 
there was so much emphasis on learning loss and people felt the pressure yeah. understandably to return and move things into high gear. So almost one and a half speed, if you will, when it comes to learning, but yeah. we're not- Accelerated yet. learning has also been a, you know, kind of a buzz phrase in, in a lot of policy spaces and, and, and uh, educational systems. And it's not there. I don't think we can be there. And I think the I think the issue is that we're trying. It's like trying yep. to push this like round peg into a square hole. Like it's not working. And what I feel both disappointed but optimistic about is I wish that we had taken more time over the last 18 months. And we really not necessarily meaning teachers and ad administrators and educators sure. also to the ground, more policymakers to really emphasize mental health of students and teachers. I don't think yeah. that we built enough place to welcome everybody back in the fall and be as successful as we hoped that we would be. Yeah. But on the other hand, I do think that we're finally reaching this breaking point where we are talking about the emotional well-being of teachers and students more so than ever before, which does give me a lot of hope and optimism. Yeah. So I'm trying to hold on to that because I know that at times everyone can feel a little bit pessimistic. We've heard that because everyone's exhausted, teachers, students, admin, every all of the other kind of support staff within schools, it's been really challenging. There's a lot of behavior challenges yeah. and people as we were saying, are like March tired in October and November, which can be yeah. really daunting when you look at the rest of, you know, the next six, seven months coming up ahead. And so we have really learned and listened and seen some of that um, in our data and through our conversations with partners. The yeah. data that we've been collecting has been very interesting because not surprisingly, students were more excited, I think, in September and then October. I think they were looking forward to coming back to school on some level. I think there was yep. a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry. So yep. generally, worry is one of the lower, less oft-selected emotions, but that was pretty prevalent in September. Yep. And it seems to have like dropped off a little bit in October. But what we're seeing is, which is really interesting, is we gave students a new option of like content or calm. So they don't necessarily mm. identify as happy, but they're just kind of okay. And that actually yeah. has really shifted things in that a lot of students are kind of identifying in this space of content or calm, which mm -hmm. is not necessarily a bad thing. It just, I think it shows that they, they might not be great or happy. They're okay. And like yeah. we saw with our high school students in particular, they're selecting a lot of like meh, or like this gloss and like is meh one of your things yeah it's like what a thing right like i, feel I love like it to like i'm like eh, like all right but i mean i don't know it's fine whatever yeah yeah and so i think so we've seen quite a bit so definitely our high school students seem to be faring on average less well than our elementary school mm, and interesting i don't i think that's not shocking just given how much they their lives probably have been shifted in yeah. the milestones that they were looking forward to that they haven't and just where they are developmentally too right. like I think like some of the younger ones don't think about the future so much where I've got juniors and seniors who are extremely concerned about the future because they're kind of like I keep hearing that jobs are going away I keep hearing that there's all these things and I'm trying to like start my life and all those okay. kinds of things so it kind of makes sense yeah and and also like who knows who how their families have been impacted by right. COVID and or losses they might have experienced so i would say that we ex so what we do is and there are many different ways that we kind of slice and dice the data to understand but this month in particular we looked and i think 
there were, I think 60% of the emotions selected were identified as being pretty positive. So that could be energized or excited or optimistic or happy. We kind of included calm and content and focused in that group. And so that's, that's pretty decent. That's the majority. We still are seeing, you know, 35% of, of the emotions selected are not positive. We had over, we had a, about 34,000 emotions selected this month, which is awesome because the more data, the more we learn. And still, I think more than a thousand of those were sad and 1500 were angry. And I kind of, and while I'm glad that those are generally low, I reflect on the fact that would those students have been, would those students have had a space to say that they were feeling those things without WellCheck? And so that gives me some solace when I'm like, I feel like the world is not okay. And I'm like, what are we doing? And so I think as we are also talking about earlier, I think that schools are experiencing such a high concentration of challenges and behavioral challenges and fatigue. And I think we can't consequence our way out of it. And so- Yeah, I love that statement. um, From it with love and compassion, but still like really appropriate and necessary boundaries and like, you know, this is what, like, this is what happened and we still have to repair relationships in the community. And so I'm not suggesting we ignore, I'm just, my way in is thinking about, so what, like, how are you feeling? And what, what about your experience today has led to this interaction, this behavior, whatever the kind of experience may be? And how can we start from, well, what do you need? And then how do we repair? And yeah. I think that's the only way out because they're just, we can't consequence their way out of this. It's just not going to work. Yeah. And that's, and that kind of seems to be what um, the system defaults to, right? The system defaults to, we need to deal with this. So um, I wonder how the, I wonder how, what emotions were selected during the period of devious licks (laughs) and that kind of thing. But it was just really interesting because even with that incident and we, we, we adopted some, I, I am comfortable saying kind of draconian approaches after soap dispensers got busted and all this stuff was kind of happening. But then what ends up happening is that there's this continued effort to paint things with a broad brush. Oh, it's just because they're sad. Well, we don't know if that's why. Like, I feel like there's a whole lot of other emotions. And what I kind of hear you saying, like, this is probably where you would expect the podcast host to ask you, so what do we do? Um, but really, I think what I hear you saying is that a, we don't actually have a great sense of what is underlying these emotions, right? And we don't actually have a great sense of what it means to come out of what was for a lot of people a year or longer quarantine. Like we don't have a lot of understanding of that, but it sort of seems like what you're saying is that we need to actually zoom in on the emotions themselves and maybe not sprint to solutions until we actually have a good sense of what is actually happening and how people are actually feeling is that yeah it's not great for funders I would imagine but (laughs) (laughs) I think yeah I think because I when you were saying that you don't think we understand what students what what students are feeling I don't even know if they always understand I think part of the exercise of well check is asking students to pause every day and select and address how are you feeling? And we give them between 10 and 13, I think, emotions, depending on their kind of age and developmental stage, and they can select more than one. And we also change the order every day. So they don't like memorize where they are. 
And so yeah. we're kind of forcing them every day to reevaluate and rethink because that's also part of this is process is all of us becoming more self-aware and how am I, where, from what perspective am I approaching today? And yeah. because I think that they often probably don't know what's happening or why they're responding a certain way. And so trying to introduce this, this small self-reflection piece. And I yeah. think to your other point about yeah, I think also as adults, we, I just read this great article that's coming out and it just talks about how we don't really know how students are feeling and even our kids. And that's not a criticism of adults. Nope, it's just at very all. difficult. And I think this is part of our goal is to ask and to be able to hear it from students. So when we sit down with students and talk about grades or attendance or engagement, we can also look at this data and it's like, you've selected that you've been feeling sad. Like what a powerful place or to start a conversation with a student. Like today you said you're feeling angry. Do you want to talk about it? Or is there something that's making you angry? And I feel like yeah. using their words is really powerful because it means that I'm not ascribing any of my own judgments or observations. I'm just going off of what you said. Yeah, that's so deep. Um, because I think that, you know, you commented that um, even adults don't necessarily know the origins of their emotions. And that's something that I've just, again, anecdotally heard from my colleagues is something has shifted and I'm not sure what it is. And I'm just not as obsessed about doing this job perfectly every day. And, um, and that, that's come with some kind of pushback in, in a, in a, I would say in a really subtle way, subtle pushback that we still have academic goals we're supposed to be meeting. We, you know, there's still this accelerated learning idea. And I think what I'm, what, in, and it's going to be kind of funny for me to say this, I'm kind of encouraged by teachers reaching this kind of critical moment where they're like, I mean, yeah, I want to teach really well, but I'm also human and we're all humans. Like, how do we deal with the fact that we're all human? I have one question. You are a researcher in this area. I am not. Um, there's been talk from folks. So for example, I was in a conversation with my instructional superintendent, who's a dynamite person, just really empathetic and really listens. And what she sort of stated was that she felt like what we're seeing is that students are kind of socially emotionally behind. So the thinking goes, if you're in ninth grade this year, there's a very good chance you spent your entire eighth grade year quarantined. And so you didn't have any in-person classes, no socializing, no being in an environment with other kids and with teachers. And so then, and it probably started when you were in um, seventh grade. So the thinking goes that social emotionally, you are a ninth grader with seventh grade social emotional skills. What do you think when you hear those kinds of statements. I don't, don't want to say it's a hot take. I feel like people have thought about this, but what's your kind of response to this notion that really I teach juniors, but they're really freshmen right now? I've heard that before too. And yeah, I guess my question is like, what does that mean in terms mm. of how do we know? I think, I think for me, the more productive way of viewing it. And that's not to say there's anything wrong with that perspective. Just to right. me, I would think about how I would in, use that information. Well, what structures do I, or scaffold, extra scaffolding might they need, or maybe additional expectations as a class, like 
things that maybe I would feel like would be too basic for an 11th grade class. Maybe they're not too basic for that class this year. And so I think, I think it's very difficult to say that they're, I, cause I've seen this before and like, I just, I don't know. How do we, any of us really know also right, what if yeah. we have the social emotional skills of a seventh grader, we might be able to quantify that somehow, but sure. what does that actually mean? Yep, and yep, so yep. I think that, I think that I would mostly, if when I was teaching, I would mostly use that information to think about what does that mean for how I run my classroom or how we yeah. run class and create this community together. Yeah. And, then- and what are you doing with these assumptions, right? So if you're, if you're taking these assumptions and saying, okay, so if I'm going to go with the assumption that they're all actually seventh graders, even though they're in ninth grade, well, what do seventh graders want? They want to be trusted. They want to be respected. They want to be celebrated. They want to have fun. Okay. So maybe that's one way to go, but it also, it leaves a lot of openings for like harmful behavior um, and harmful treatment of children, potentially. I, I cut you off, though. You're going to say something else. Oh, I was. No, that's okay. I think that's a great point. I was thinking more about teachers. And so there are two things that I was thinking about. And one is, I think one thing that people talk about a lot is our expectations about teachers being counselors and therapists, especially around WellTech. And my response yeah. always is like, that's not our expectation. And that yeah. shouldn't be anybody's expectation. My yeah my view of this is how can we help students who may be struggling silently or students who need to feel seen in ways that maybe they weren't able to be help themselves be seen in another way mm-hmm. and my hope is that teachers can use this information to support those students and meet them where they are on a given day and then also refer them to counselors or whoever may be support. Maybe they need to let parents know if there are persistent issues that are arising. And so it's so important to me that with WellCheck that we're not adding this undue burden onto teachers' plates because like, I feel very empathetic and very strongly about that. Like I love teachers, a big part of our research focus is on teacher well-being. And so that's something that's really important to me is that what our hope is that we can just kind of point teachers in the right direction of who needs a little bit extra love and support and then who might need that next step referral to got the counselor or the school psych or the social worker who or whomever may be best equipped to deal with that and my second piece was I think that I view understanding student well-being not as an excuse for the challenging behaviors I think teachers are feeling a little bit frustrated because they feel like their voices aren't being heard. Everyone's expecting yeah. them to make up for a year and a half, be okay after experiencing whatever they experienced yeah, last okay. year yeah. and a half, and now deal with these added behavior challenges or added emotional challenges. And that's a lot. And I feel like people are talking about self-care for teachers, which in some cases puts it back on them. And mm-hmm. that's that's not going to work. I remember when I was a teacher, I remember there was an incident where a student had been violent with me and the pressure was not to do anything. And, and I, I ultimately didn't do anything major from a disciplinary perspective, but I was also like, but I'm also a person and like, yeah. no matter what trauma or feelings a student is having, that's also not okay for me. And like, I matter. Yeah. And I think that my guess is what you're referring to with so many teachers is a sense that they feel like they don't matter. That's right. and, that's, and then as a result, they're like, well, if I don't matter, how am I supposed to pour from this empty or not right. full cup to, yeah. to our students? And I don't have a great answer for that. I do think yeah. I am 
working on a study. We're starting a study in January with teachers where we're asking them to complete WellCheck. And what we're hoping to do awesome. is we're hoping to amplify their voices. And so my goal with this is it's, and more information will be coming out as we're done with the IRB. And this is like, yes, yep. a little bit of a plug. And we want all teachers who are- Plug it, plug it, plug it. <laughs> Our goal really is to hear from teachers and like, how are you feeling? And like, and then we have this like fairly rich data set that we can bring to policymakers and we can publish on and not just have these really important, but more like qualitative anecdotes, but we can say like, this is how our teachers were feeling in January through May of 2022. And yeah. what are we going to do about it? And how, what yeah. is, what, what do they need and who is more vulnerable? Are we seeing our young teachers more vulnerable or our more experienced teachers? Does it matter right. if they're male or female or identify as non-binary or something else? Or yep. are there different, are there different school demographics? And I think that these are really important because I, my hope is in the small way I can like lift up teacher voices and yeah. make it louder so that we can't ignore the one-off. Oh, well, that person had this going on. No, teachers generally yeah, right. nothing. And like my goal is to create that picture that we can use to promote this narrative of we need to take better care of our teachers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. Like, uh, you know, I, I think that so many of us work in in districts that claim to be data driven, right? We're a data driven district. We make data driven decisions, and so what I really feel like is that we've got a real um, we have a wellness reckoning that I think that we need to engage. Um, and and what you're able to provide is efficient. Um, consistent data around these things and so it kind of it kind of puts a whole lot of our districts to the test when it comes to okay are you data driven well here's some data that doesn't have to do with math scores or literacy scores or on track to graduate um but ostensibly could actually feed all of those things and um i love it i do also want to say to the audience that this is that this is not a paid advertisement like literally we found each other on social media and I stand well check um, just because Jody and her work with this platform are so amazing. And so just so you know, uh, this, this is not a paid advertisement. Like this is meant to amplify a really useful and powerful tool that hopefully you all can use. Um, so we've gotten to the most important part of the show. I know you've been thinking about it for a while. Um, have you or, or do yeah. I need to stall a little bit? Because I can stall. <laughs> all right. Are you ready? I feel like I've made you nervous. No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just, I'm, I just, I can't figure out like one category. So I'm just going to like make my own. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, that's great. There are no rules. Like that's, okay. that's the rule. It's, and, and also I should say that, so in a second, uh, Jody Miller of WellCheck is going to give us her top five, anything. Yeah. Um, and let me just tell you the, the rules. Uh, there are no rules. Also, it, it's not a hierarchy. Um, it, we're not going to hold this to you, like hold you to this or hold this to you, whatever that means. Um, and we are not going to bring out the receipts if you tell some other podcast that it was a different five, because we understand this is, I mean, you all understand the value of statistical snapshots, right? So this is a snapshot of uh, what your top five anything are. So Jody, what is your top five? Okay, here are top five amazing things that I think that more people need in their life. Okay, so oh, I, I love that. <laughs> I think that we all need caffeinated hot chocolate. And I'm not talking about mocha. This is my- Not a mocha. 
Wait, so how's that, how's that different? Because I don't want it to taste like coffee. I want it to taste like oh. coffee, but be caffeinated. <laughs> I love it. I think that we need more cat hats on cats. My roommate's cat just walked in and like, I tried to <laughs> that. miserable, but I just want to do it every single day. Yep. Um, more hats on cats. Wait, hold on. Let me pause you. Are there specific types of hats or just any hats? We have a great Christmas hat. I'm not, I don't even celebrate Christmas, but it really doesn't matter. Anything that. Any hat. Okay. Poor cat. So we have caffeinated hot chocolate, yeah. more hats on cats. This is yeah. a dynamite list already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Okay. So Splenda, like it's not great for you, but Splenda and tea is a real game changer. Huh. And so I would recommend that everyone does that. It's probably not great. So you want to temper this, but. Not great um, for you or like, yeah, is that what you're no, saying? Great. Yeah, it's probably not great for you, but okay. <laughs> um, other things. Oh, pretzels. I love pretzels. They're really snack always. And so I think that people need more pretzels. Okay. And <laughs> the last thing is slippers. Like you just need for slippers <laughs> and warm socks. What are the differences? What's the difference between slippers and house shoes? I was having this kind of debate with somebody the other day. That's such a great question. Is, is there a difference? I think that there is, I think that house shoes is a wider category and slippers with a Because I've got, because I've got these on right now. So this is, so you'll see it's, it's like got. a house shoe to me. Yeah. Cause it does have this sole right yeah. here, but then I'm not wearing this outside because it got, that defeats, like we'd take right. off our shoes when we come in though. Sorry. I just like totally showed you my shoe. That's um, okay. Love it. <laughs> so um, I want to revisit the pretzels thing. Yeah. So would, would you say that pretzels are underrated or properly rated I think that they're underrated and I do okay. recognize that there are times where you need something with a little bit more of a snack bang like a little bit more of a like a flavor like yeah like salt and vinegar or sour cream and onion but pretzels you can have with so many different things and take it a lot of directions and they're I feel like like peanut butter pretzels are like heaven yeah they're great you can have it with Nutella you can like eat I've not tried that what are you doing? I don't know. I've tried. I've tried it with peanut butter. I've tried them with um with this like with hummus this tangy or, mustard. Yep. Hummus, hummus makes sense. Hummus makes sense. Nutella. And it can Yo. be soft pretzels or hard pretzels. It's right. Like Even hot. like Wetzel's pretzels has those stupid hot dog pretzels that are amazing. Like yep. I can't get enough of those. Like wow, I you've changed my life here. <laughs> I'm um, really for you to have Nutella. <laughs> So there you have it from Jody Miller of Wellcheck, the top five <laughs> amazing things everyone needs in their life. I think you might have won. <laughs> I think you might have won because the only thing I would add is talking animals. Um, like, yeah. in, like in movies, like this is my favorite kind of movie is a movie of talking animals. Um, but not like cartoons, but like live action animals that have been CGI'd to talk. I would love that. But Juan, my roommate's cat, who's currently sitting on my bed, like... I feel like Juan would be like, stop picking me up all the time. I don't actually like you that much. I just want you to feed me in the morning. The cat's name is Juan. Yeah. I love it. I love, oh, that that's another thing I would add to the list. Animals with human names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would down, I would, I would think I would enjoy Juan talking just because she would probably say terrible things, but I'd also would want it to stop sometimes when she was like, but I hate you put me down. Yeah, yeah, because because cats are not empaths for the most part. Um, no, must be really interesting for uh, somebody studying psychology and stress to witness a cat. Um, yeah. How do people find WellCheck? How do people yeah. get involved? 
Yeah, so I think such a great question. And I love that you say involved because I really view it as a community and as a partnership. And I get a lot of really great feedback from teachers. And so many of the developments that we've made over the past year have been inspired by teachers or teachers or administrators or counselors saying, well, what if I wanna look at this? Or what if I need yeah. a group for this? And we make it happen because the goal is to create the best tool for teachers and students. So, so. you can find us on Twitter at, uh, you find me at jodes39. Um, that's J-O-D-E-S 39. You can find okay. Well Tech at check, C-H-E-Q, Well. And you can also go to our website, which is wellcheck.com. And, or you can also email me and my email is on my Twitter bio, but I can just tell you it's Jody at wellcheck.com. Cool. And all are well, welcome, even if you're not in a position to use it, but you want to learn more or somehow be part of our team. That's wonderful to us. We love that. I love it. Hit them up because um, Jody is so passionate and informed and just has centered this in life in ways that our system still struggles to. Um, so definitely hit them up. Uh, Jody Miller, thank you for your time today. Really excited we were able to finally make this happen. And uh, we're going to bump this uh, this episode ahead in the feed because we are at a time that um, things are just really hard. And, um, and I think that any tools and uh, community sort of, you know, that is addressing wellness head on, I think is uh, something that I think people are really thankful for. So hit them up. Um, my name is Gerardo Munoz, and thank you for being habitually disruptive. Thank you so much for having me.